You're listening to Dodge.Beer, the accompanying podcast to the blog with the same name. Join me, Ethan Gregory Dodge, as I venture into the world of homebrewing after not drinking a drop of alcohol before the age of 25. Visit the blog online by going to Dodge.Beer. I had the opportunity to tour my first brewery a few weekends ago, Rivertown Brewing, just outside of Pittsburgh in Export, Pennsylvania, where the Halakihiki Pineapple Ale, one of my favorite fruit beers, is brewed. There I had the pleasure of meeting Cowboy Paul, whose attire fit his name with a shirt buttoned up halfway and a large brimmed cowboy hat. Cowboy Paul gave me an excellent first-time overview of the brewing process at a large scale. Upon arrival, I was asked if I wanted a beer. How could I turn that down? Because I had only ever had their halakahiki, I wanted to try something different. Luckily, there were two seasonal sours on tap. I don't recall the name of the first one, but I tried it and it was very tart. I wasn't in the mood for a tart beer, so I went with the Strawberry Rhubarb Sour Amish Mafia, and it was delicious. I ended up taking a 32-ounce crowler of it home. One of the first pieces of wisdom that Cowboy Paul bestowed upon me as an aspiring brewer was that all beer has four main ingredients, grain, yeast, hops, and water. Nearly all modern-day beers contain these base ingredients. Interestingly enough, in 1516, a law was adopted in the German state of Bavaria, known as the Rheinheistikabat, which declared that the only ingredients permitted in the production of beer were barley, hops, and water. The existence of yeast was unknown at the time, so it was not included, but it's a great example of how those four ingredients have been used to brew beer for centuries. Cowboy Paul first showed us the giant silos outside the brewery that must have been 20 feet tall filled with grain. The grain is dispensed inside the brewery from a pipe and weighed before being split apart in preparation to make wort, the sugary liquid processed by the mashing of the grains. Essentially, the grains are split, conditioned, and boiled in four huge 10-foot tall tanks. The wort consists of water and the sugars extracted from the grains. What remains of the grains is then separated and Rivertown Brewery gives it to a nearby farmer who feeds it to his livestock. The wort is then combined with yeast, which then eats the sugars in the wort and ferments. The enclosures where the fermentation takes place, fermenters, were about the same size as the silos of grain and the beer can sit there for about two weeks or so fermenting. This is also the stage of the process in which other ingredients such as the pineapple and the halakihiki or the strawberry and the Amish mafia are added. Cowboy Paul also told me that when you get right down to it, there are really two types of beer and all other types are simply subsets, lagers and ales. I had already heard this before, but I didn't know the primary difference between the two. According to Cowboy Paul, ales are fermented at 60 degrees to 70 degrees Fahrenheit, while lagers are fermented between 35 and 40 degrees. The temperature ranges may vary depending on who you talk to, but I found it fascinating that the temperature could affect the taste and brew so drastically. Upon doing more research, there is a difference in the yeast used as well. You can't simply choose what temperature to ferment at and use the same yeast for any beer. Rather, you must prepare beforehand and purchase yeast meant for either an ale or a lager, so it's not solely the temperature that determines the type of beer. One of the fermenters had a tube running to a 5-gallon bucket. Huge, thick bubbles were running out from the tube. This is completely normal in the fermenting process. The bubbles from this beer were particularly clean and clear. I didn't ask him what beer was being fermented there, but now I wish I had. The day of the tour happened to also be canning day. They were getting ready to send off a large shipment of 12 packs to the distributing area, which consists of a large portion of the central east coast states. Just a couple days ago, they announced an expansion to the Boston area, which is exciting because the beer is great. 
I noticed they weren't using any bottles to package their beer. When I asked Cowboy Paul why that was, he replied that the light that comes in through the bottles doesn't allow it to age well. I was a bit confused because that is why brown bottles are used for beer. But upon visiting Blue Owl Brewing the following week, they also only use cans, albeit for different reasons. But it appears that bottles may slowly become a thing of the past in the brewing world. I guess only time will tell. The canning process is largely automated with some manual intervention. The cans work their way down the line and are filled with CO2 and beer. It's my understanding that the CO2 is meant to clear out all the oxygen from the can before the beer is poured in. Like wine, the taste of beer is effective if exposed to oxygen for too long. At the end of the canning line is a large triangular platform where the cans are gathered. As that area fills with cans, they are taken and packaged as either 4-packs, 6-packs, or 12-packs. I wish I could have seen them filling up kegs, but the canning line was pretty cool. Overall, the experience was great, and I learned a lot. If you ever get a chance, you should definitely try some Rivertown beer. They make some great session ales that are great for a summer afternoon.